Welcome back to the Chris Lockwood Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lockwood, and we are social distancing. How you holding up? You doing all right? Um, we're, we're hanging in there. We're trying to keep ourselves busy. Uh, we're doing a garden. We're, we've, we've launched a clothing store called yumiclothingcompany.com, E-W-M-I, clothingcompany.com. Check it out. Uh, everybodyplayguitar.com. I've done guitar lessons. Uh, it's an online guitar course uh, for you, your children, or the whole family. Something fun and convenient. Go check it out, everybodyplayguitar.com. Uh, what else? Uh, our heads are spinning. <laughs> We've homeschooled. Uh, we're making music. I mean, yeah. Here's my encouragement. Let's make the most of this opportunity. Sure, it's a little scary. Sure, it's, it's overwhelming. There's been loss of life. And people are working around the clock to figure out how to get the economy running again and how to get people outside living their lives. Uh, there's no question that this is this is concerning, and you know we can we can focus on the fear, which is usually the unknown. We don't really know if what we fear is going to actually come into play. So sometimes f- being fearful can be a waste of time, or we can be faithful, and faith usually moves us into action. And so. Let's have faith and go, hey, you know, I always wanted to learn how to sew. I always wanted to learn how to do photography. So take an online course. Hey, I've always wanted to start that garden. Uh, Go outside and start your garden. Hey, you know, I've always wanted to play baseball in the yard with my kids. Go play baseball. Like, move into action. Take advantage of the time. We, we, We have been given a huge opportunity here. It's, you know, it's it is an inconvenience. But I think we can also shift the narrative to see it as a huge blessing in that we get to spend time with the ones we love and we get to take some time to think about what we're doing and how do we move forward. You know, be praying. Lean into your faith. Uh, The whole thing about Christianity is about uh, redemption, restoration, and helping us move beyond ourselves to go above and beyond. Uh, The Bible says that all things are possible. All things. If all things are possible with God, what does that mean for you and me? I mean, wow. Okay, enough preaching. This episode is so applicable for the times because I think it speaks into what I was just talking about, turning lemons into lemonade. Uh, Eric Nordoff is a guy, he's, a, he's just your everyday likable guy. He's married to a, a lovely, talented woman named Chrissy Nordoff. If you go to church, you've heard her songs, I promise you. And Eric's an entrepreneur. They're 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 parents. They're they're such a sweet couple, and he he as an entrepreneur has just figured it out. He didn't have all the answers. He wasn't cut from the right cloth. Um, he's just you know had curiosity, and he's chased that curiosity, and he has just fumbled his way through it and has found success. And what I love about Eric is it seems like he continues to chase that curiosity. And he continues to try to figure things out. And so in the middle of the season of life, I would encourage you, chase your curiosity and try to figure things out. If you feel like you're too old, Eric is 48 years old. You're never too old to chase your dreams, to chase your curiosity. It's never too late. Don't buy into that lie. I realize that social media and the internet makes it look like it's a 20-year-old person's world. It's not. It is your world. It is your life make the most of it. And that's what I love about Eric Nordoff. I love the story. I don't know why I was so drawn to him, but now I do. 
Uh, Eric and I, you know, have known each other, but we haven't really spent a ton of time together. And after spending two hours with him on FaceTime, because this is a social distancing episode, he's at his house, I'm at mine. After spending two hours with him, uh, I totally get why I'm, I'm drawn to this guy. Such a great man, and I know you're going to love this. So here's my friend, Eric Nordoff. All right, brother Eric Nordoff. Thank you. Thank you for meeting with me. Yeah. This is a first for me doing over the internet. I finally have a. I've reached uh, modern day technology, and, <laughs> but you're doing this like all the time, right? I mean, you're. Yeah, I'm. You know, when I suggested, with all of the craziness going on around us, that we just meet, and I hear uh, your kids, kids in the background. It's the best. <laughs> Um, Is it? <laughs> but yeah, it, it, maybe a little hint of sarcasm there, but, um, yeah, dude, I, I do this a lot. Um, with our doTERRA business, I started zooming. Everybody's zooming now. It's so funny to see like zoom be mainstream. Uh, uh, but yeah, every, our church is doing zoom, everybody's zooming, but we've been doing it for about five years because my team, our doTERRA team is like all over the country. So we try to try to meet online once, you know, a couple times a week for trainings and stuff like that. So, yeah. Is, th- is that, um, I mean, I would imagine that, you know, especially while health is a big issue, is doTERRA, I mean, you've probably not noticed a slowdown. Have you noticed more of a pickup? Oh, yeah. It's honestly, it's like Christmas right now. It's one of the, it's one of the bright spots Christmas financially in the sense of just, you know, fourth quarter is always the busiest time. And it feels like the fourth quarter because everybody is getting, you know, they're trying to get their immune system strong and trying to protect their family. And, um, yeah, we've, we've had products and products are selling out. We're, we're, we're having to, you know, uh, a lot of stuff's out of stock. And so, but, but that's a good problem to have. I'm glad we can help people. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, um, are you satisfied with the fact that you, um, you know, we kind of were talking about a few minutes ago about uh, like online companies, uh, becoming more of the norm, like in a way you've kind of been ahead of the curve in the fact that you've done this doTERRA thing and this has been your main source of more mainstream of income. Have, are you satisfied with the fact, I mean, are you guys okay in the middle of this coronavirus now that you have that? Yeah. Uh, it's been, it's been a huge blessing to be able to know that we have residual income. We have different streams of residual income. We have our creative side uh, of create of, of, of income from Chrissy's royalties and music royalties and things like that. And then we have the doTERRA, which is residual from the, the business, more business. I consider that more, more the health side and the business side. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a real blessing and I'm grateful one of the things that maybe I've done right is have multiple streams of income to prepare for this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, how are you guys doing with all this? Um, you know, we go through our own anxiety We're sometimes we feel, you know, sad. There's days of sadness or, or mo- mornings of sadness. Like I think you go through the normal, um, the, the normal morning period for things like this, you know, like at first it's a shock back in March, the beginning of March, literally like we celebrated my wife's book release on March 1st, the next week 
everything begins to fall apart and there's that shock and then there's the the kind of the anger and then the fear of you know we need to stockpile and you know i made costco runs and you know i i understand why toilet paper <laughs> was in short short supply for a while and in high demand you know i get that uh because we went through that personally you know you just kind of do we have enough like i was more i wasn't worried about the sickness as much as i was just worried about society and everything around us economically falling apart like i'm grateful for the residual income and i'm grateful for those things but that's based on a, a solid economy you know or at least an economy that's not in a depression and you know if i just i started i started entertaining worst case scenarios uh in my head of you know uh, you know we can't survive if people stop, you know, ordering our products because it's not a necessity and they, you know, just run to the grocery store and have enough for food and, you know, or, or can't even stay in their houses. Yes, we provide a solution on the business end, but if no one's buying, it's really tough to, you know, have a residual income. So I know it's uh, the, the fear of this thing is, it seems to be the more concerning. I mean, obviously, like, I think that, um, now, I've not watched the news whatsoever uh, on purpose. Like, uh, dude, I, I just can't. I, I turned it on YouTube for, um, I was lo- uploading something on YouTube the other day, and Trump was live, and I watched two minutes of it, and I was just like, I can't. Like, I mean, there's nothing I can do about this, and it, all it's going to do is drive me, like, start to drive me crazy, you know? But, um, um, but yeah, I mean, like it, it, the fear, you know, is almost a virus in itself. Just the what ifs of what could happen on the other side of this, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The fear is the worst part. Uh, just battling the the unknown and um, the, the, the out of control feeling. And yeah, I, I probably did watch like in the first two, three weeks of this. I tried to watch every night just the first 10, 15 minutes because there was something new happening every day there was a new closure a new shutdown the schools were sending us emails and calls and you know we have kids in three different schools right now and so and then all the activities were shutting down and it was just like everything was coming down and um yeah but i feel like right now we're like the second of april when we're recording this uh you know i feel like i'm we're calm we've got We've got stuff in order. I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm seeing that, of course, we're going to have have to shut down for another month. Uh, hopefully, we have the the economic stimulus, and uh, we have some things that the economy has recovered a little bit back from where it was. So I don't know. I, I'm feeling more hopeful these days. That's good. Uh, what do you What are you guys doing? Uh, what have you done in the process to take advantage of the time? And like, what have you? You know, you're a go-getter. Hey, Bubba. You're a go-getter. Uh, like, how, what have you been doing to take advantage of, like, just in the meantime, the downtime? What do you do? Like, are, are you, I don't know, how are you leveraging it? You know, like, I mean, I know you're, you're not someone who sits and just watches things happen and, you know, lets it just kind of fall at the wayside. Well, I wish I could say that I'm, like, continuing to go-get, but I'm seeing this as an opportunity to slow down. Uh, my biggest battle is slowing down, uh, uh, is, is, and I'm seeing it as, 
an opportunity to say, okay, I'm actually relieved that I've been, that I've, that I can say no, like we've canceled events. We've postponed events. We have changed the way, like tomorrow we're doing a, uh, an online co-writing day, uh, with, with Chrissy and her other songwriters. So we're going to have a big day with 35 co-writers on zoom and we're going to, we're going to make that work. But for the most part, I have enjoyed saying no. I've enjoyed just saying, listen, let's just kind of push this back or, or change this. Like even you and I were going to talk and I think I wouldn't have been in a mental space to do this uh, two weeks ago or whenever we were going to talk, maybe it was last week. But anyway, I don't, I don't even think I was in that space. I was just kind of still wanting to slow down and take advantage of the opportunity to, to maybe look at, well, maybe I am doing too much. And, and so I've, I have actually just been spending more time working on projects around the house. It's kind of boring. Like we've been doing, we've been taking long walks as a family around the neighborhood. We've been working in the garden. We've been taking it and I've actually been really enjoying it, slowing down. Uh, so this might be somewhat of a permanent thing for me, you know? Yeah. We'll see. Isn't that funny? I, I, I think it's funny how it's taken, you know, one, on one side, it's horrible what's happening. And just in the last two days, I've seen two or three iconic musicians who have, who have passed away. Um, like Ellis Marcellus passed away, which was just like, you've got to be kidding me. And, um, but on the flip side, you know, it's forced us all to get back to the fundamentals of what actually matters, you know, like, like family. And obviously prayer is probably a huge thing in the world right now, which is a huge plus, um, uh, you know, just, but I don't know. It takes these things for us to kind of reset and to rethink like what actually matters in life. Yeah. Um, I've been amazed. Like I don't, I'm not a great piano player. Okay. So but I did create this instrumental piano series that has a lot of space and a lot of like, it's mainly, it's mainly quiet and soft because I don't play very well, you know, like, so it's, it's, um, I'm, but, but I enjoy it for me. It was just therapy. And I was able to kind of 10 years ago, create this series called quiet time. But I, every, I just posted something three days ago or something where I just, was just playing piano on social media. And as we all are, you know, I think you might've posted, I mean, everybody is posting music stuff, um, here in Nashville. So, and that's great. Um, because I think people need to hear it. I think people need, want to hear it and want to experience it in a new way. Um, and so I'm getting, I've gotten more requests to do more of that just for this season or more requests to, uh, for this kind of music. Uh, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that, you know? So I, I get it. Yeah. I'm, I'm on one hand, there's like, my prayers are with the healthcare workers. We probably all have people who are on the front lines of this. And the reason we are social distancing, the reason we're doing all of this is to help our healthcare system not get overrun. I think that's the number one thing. Like I'm, I'm only going to go to the hospital if I absolutely have to. I'm staying as far away from hospitals or even doctor's offices right now um, if, I can, if I can help it, you know. 
Yeah, we had a friend, her daughter busted her head open yesterday, and they had to go to the hospital. And you know, and everyone's concern is not her head, but that she doesn't contract the coronavirus, you know? It's I know. Just, I'm I so know. frustrated with this thing. It's everywhere, you know? It's like every day that's the conversation, you know? Yeah. Are you frustrated? Like, we're, how, are, how has your family been? How have you been with it? Have you been mostly frustrated with it or I honestly? Have, well, I mean, um, you know, I was, I can't, I've been in a, a pretty frustrating season professionally. Mm-hmm. And so when the coronavirus hit, it didn't affect me whatsoever. And, you know, I, when the, the news of it first started hitting, it was like, oh, that's, that, I hope, you know, hopefully that'll stay at bay. And then as it got worse, it hasn't bothered me. And then, like I told you, I haven't watched the news just because I don't know that I can handle any more pressure. And mm-hmm. so, um, so we've been fine. Jo- the only news that I get is when Joy, if she sees something and she tells me, um, or if, uh, from talking to a friend, you know, that, that's it. And so I've just, you know, my motto to myself has been control the things you can control. And, um, and this whole thing is so far out of my control that I just have had to like, you know, release it, you know, to the world and just stay away from it and, and try to maintain my sanity. Yeah. I've been in this mode, um, in the last few months anyway, where I've wanted to, I've, I've literally fantasized and, and thought through in a very succinct outlined way, how I can remove myself. So I'm, I'm hearing you not watching the news. It's triggering this, like how I can completely remove myself from social media, from, from anything, internet, phone, uh, you know, TV, all of the stuff that's just like overstimulating me and overstimulating my family, but continue to stay in business, continue to make a living online. Like how could I set up my life differently and rearrange everything? Kind of like an essentialism meets, uh, you know, a four hour work week kind of a thing, you know, where both of those things could sort of merge into one, you know, ultimate guide. Like it's a book in my mind, you know, or a podcast where I step by step, like start to remove everything from my life so that I can get my life back. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, God already has the corner on this, uh, like air, like how do I make air to where I can just wake up and it works and I don't have to do anything, (laughs) you know? Man, he's already got that one copywritten. Dang it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, hey, I mean, you know, um, I know, you, you know, you mentioned earlier you, you don't see yourself as a um, an expert by any stretch, um, but you probably have a lot that you can share. But I'm curious, like, as I was going through your LinkedIn, I was like, <laughs> Eric's a very impressive person. Uh, and I'm, and I'm well, glad you... LinkedIn can be that LinkedIn can make you look better than you really are. So. Well, I'm glad that you posted all that. Cause it gave me some, some things to look back on. And, you know, but I think I knew you were a musician, but, um, but I didn't realize like you had like a, like you've developed, like you're really continually creating and you've created quite a bit of a catalog, uh, which is totally impressive, you know? Um, <laughs> but like, I'm th- curious about like your early life, like where, you know, where did where did you, uh, one, where'd you, where did you grow up at? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, when I was, um, so I was, um, born into a German family. So my parents are, they immigrated, uh, and I was born in the U S but they're, they immigrated from Germany and uh, my first language was German. So that was an interesting, already an interesting dynamic. Um, 
growing up, uh, I would, my parents, when I was old enough, when I was eight years old, uh, they put me on a, on a jumbo jet, uh, and sent me over to my grandparents by myself, um, and, uh, spent four weeks, uh, every summer from the time I was eight until I was 16, just about every summer. There was, I think one or one or two summers where I didn't, but, um, yeah, it was a great experience. I really became independent, um, during that time. Uh, I, it was hard. Like I can't imagine doing that now with my kids. I know Chrissy, when I even suggested that idea, she was like, no way. We're not even sending, <laughs> we're not even sending them to Florida with, right. with, the, with the grandparents or anything. But I think as they've, got, <laughs> as they've gotten older, um, we've done a little more of that, you know, let them go off and have some time with their grandparents. But all of my family was over in Germany. So, so that was a, that was an interesting dynamic, you know, to have that. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I would imagine being the child of immigrants, I mean, they're picking up and having to start life over completely. Um, like, did you move from Germany? Were you born when they moved? Or how far, how long after were you born when they got to the States? My dad got a really good job at a, a German company who was setting up a U.S. Um, office. They were in the plastics industry in the, in the 60s when he moved. It was 1968 or 69. You know, plastics was like the the techno technological boom back then, you know, compared to today, you know, if you were compared to today, it'd be like Google, you know, or, or something like that new technology. So plastics was the thing. And, um, so he moved to New Jersey and, um, uh, they, uh, so I was born in 1971. So I was already in the U S but we just spoke German at home and, he for two years we we moved back to Germany when I was like two to age four. But I went to I went to um, kindergarten. I don't even remember this, but I went to kindergarten not speaking English. Like I didn't I didn't even know how to speak English. I think, or I had a really severe accent. But I learned I learned English from watching I Love Lucy, Gilligan's Island. <laughs> And uh, what else? A Brady Bunch. I mean, those were my shows, man. Um, Adams Family. Oh I remember watching the Adams Family and loving it. And the Munsters. Do you remember the oh. Munsters? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, all that stuff um, on daytime TV. Uh, I watched a lot of TV. I watched a lot of TV. So, yeah. So that was kind of, you know, growing up. But, um, and I think TV influenced a lot. Like, um, as I got older, I, I watched a lot of TV. We were the generation that was exposed to a lot of TV. I don't know what it was like for you, but we, we watched a lot of TV. We, we watched a lot of sports together. You know, the TV was a, was a central place where we, you know, talked a lot and we talked about things. I, I was fascinated with the news, ironically, you know, we just talked about how you don't watch the news, but like for me, it's, it's always been something that interested me. So I, I studied, I went to college for, for broadcast journalism and uh, television radio was my thing. And this was back in the day when we didn't use computers to record stuff. It was all analog, you know? 
So I was splicing audio, you know, reel to reels together to put my news broadcasts together. And, uh, you know, just towards the end, we were starting to use editing software, you know, but it was all manual stuff that, that I learned on. Um, that's amazing. In, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it just ages me really well, but, um, but that's really, really the truth. So yeah, I, I actually went to school. I was classmates or schoolmates with, he was two years younger than me, schoolmates with David Muir, uh, at Ithaca College, David Muir is the host of World News Tonight on ABC. Now, he's the main guy, but he was such a nerd back then, man, such a nerd, total news nerd. And I, but I, you know, and we made fun of him. But the guy was, you know, he loved like you knew he was going places. Um, but I spent I spent half my time uh, in the music building. Like music was also a big part of my life. Like I, as much as I would watch TV and watch news, I also spent a ton of time buying records, buying 45s. If, if I could pan my camera over, I could show you my uh, singles collection, my 45 singles collection. So pop music was it. Like I listened to everything that was current from, especially like if you asked me, from 1983 to 1989, like if you played me a song, I could tell you the season, the year, uh, and what I was going through at that time when that song was out. It's really lame, actually. It's useless information. <laughs> but, um, but you know that you're when you're growing, you know your mind is developing, your brain is developing. Um, those teenage years. You know, every you just remember everything, smells, everything is just, you know, uh, is there in your brain. So where did you learn your work ethic? Like, like, was it did it start early on when you were a child or did it start in college or after college? Um, I didn't actually get a really good work ethic until um, I became a Christian. Actually, it was it was Christ. It was Christ in my life. It was it was having an experience. Um with God in my mid early, early twenties, um, that, uh, like once I started, um, having a, a relationship and with Christ and I started going to church, that's where, um, like I, I had a hunger to learn. I had a hunger to exercise. I, I wanted to, I wanted to just, just self-improvement, but I will say that the seeds were planted from uh, with personal development, like personal development is really important to me. Um, maybe it's selfish. I don't know. Some people like personal development. Some people hate it. Um, my wife doesn't like a lot of personal development stuff. Like she's a total right brained creative and she doesn't like, uh, but yet she's one of the most disciplined people I know. She just doesn't, she just doesn't call it. Uh, she's one, she has a great worth ethic, work ethic, but anyway, um, I don't know what I'm really trying to say other than personal development was implanted in me. My dad, uh, when I was 16, he uh, thought it was really important for me to, to learn how to communicate with people uh, and have conversations and, and speak in public. I guess he had taken a Dale, Dale Carnegie class in for his work, and he said, I'm an only child, so... He said, son, I'm, I signed you up for a Dale Carnegie course, and you're going to go every Thursday, uh, every evening on Thursday for 12 weeks. And that's what I did. 
So uh, January through April, I, uh, I, you know, he dropped me off at the uh, whatever hotel it was in Bridgewater, New Jersey, and said, have fun. And for two, for two hours, two hours, I would um, be with a room full of like 40 adults, uh, all of them in their 30s and 40s. I was the 16-year-old. I kind of liked being different. I liked the attention. And um, I learned how to communicate. I read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I read uh, how, to how to Not Worry and Start Living, I think was the title. Um, but How to Win Friends and Influence People was a big influence on my life. And, you know, I couldn't go back f after reading that book and, and, and being saturated with public speaking and learning how to talk to people. Um, and it's, I carry it with me today. So that, that planted a big seed in me. And then from there, my dad would, would give me, um, motivational tapes or Zig Ziglar or Brian Tracy, how to sell, you know, those kind of things, you know, and I, I, I don't know why, but I listened to them and I actually really fell in love with audio books and listening to t uh, books on tape, uh, and stuff like that from from those guys um so yeah i think those were big influences in my life for sure yeah i, I typically say that next to the bible how to win friends and influence people has been the most influential book in my life i've read that thing five really? or six times oh i love i love it's such a great smack in the face and reminder you know and and it, it and it literally is like when you look at the two greatest commandments it so lines up with that and just taking interest mm. and listening to other people and caring about their needs. And it's like literally that easy. And he was able yes. to write a whole volume <laughs> on that point, you know, <laughs> I know and made a whole career out of it. <laughs> really? It's so good. Take sincere interest in other people, you know, smile, um, ask questions, learn how to get curious about people. I mean, that's why you're probably podcasting, you know, because you can't help it. It's, it's a big influence in your life. Yeah, I'm a late bloomer. Always have been. Um, and so when I discovered Zig Ziglar and the Carnegie thing, and then uh, like even Tony Robbins, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the self-development thing. It sounds, I think it's because it sounds selfish. Right, exactly. I know. We are Christian. We get, we get in the way. That gets in the way sometimes. Like we almost feel guilty that like there's some sort of weird Christian guilt that shouldn't be there. I don't think, I think we need to let the, let that go. Yeah. I think learning and development is, um, it's great. I mean, why? <laughs> I mean, it's learning <laughs> wisdom. Like I even read in Proverbs this morning, like wisdom is a huge thing and knowledge and gaining insight. Yeah. And I mean, but I don't, you're right. The self-development, just the word, the term I think is screwed it up. Yeah, I do too. But I think, I think it can, it can take you too far I think when it goes too far is when you're so into yourself that you forget about um, you forget about a, how to have a relationship with with an kind of an like it was really hard for me that it it was hard for me to have a relationship with or to even think that I could like I thought it was stupid to pray for a long time like even though I read all that Dale Carnegie stuff and it was very full of scripture, actually, um, a lot of a lot of truth from from scripture in that book. But but still, I really didn't. I thought it was just so impractical. I was a really practical person. Like I, I just I didn't 
like the relational and the softness of the heart, like that took me a while, <laughs> that took me a while to learn, um, you know, and I'm still learning how to, how to be, um, how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you know, and things like that. Like I, I get the discipline part of Christ, Christianity. And actually one of the things that drew me to Christianity was that people that I saw who were Christians were winning, quote unquote. I saw them as winners and that was attractive to me. It wasn't at first, like what drew me was not um, all of the the sacrifices of Jesus and the personal relationship with Jesus. What drew me was not my, my own sin. I actually thought I was pretty sinless before I got married. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and had kids. Um, I mean, those are, those are wonderful institutions and things to, to really humble you and make you realize, you know, um, how selfish you are. Plus I was an only child. So a lot of like, a lot of breaking off of, of stuff, but, but I, I'm grateful for it because it, it's, uh, it's grown me over the years for sure. Anyway. You may, you may have answered this just now, but I just want to ask, like, what was it about, I'm curious about pulling on the thread of Christianity uh, making you more disciplined and turning you into that sort of go-getter work ethic. What was about faith, Jesus, that kind of developed that, that attitude or that, that desire in you? Yeah, I think for me, like once I, I went through a season right after I accepted Christ where I was just on fire, you know, I was the typical evangelical on fire for God. And I read through the whole Bible uh, probably twice in five years and just really uh, dove into it and fell in love with it. Um, but it was the parable of the talents that, um, that got me uh, in that. It was this whole concept of understanding uh, stewardship um, that were number one, we're given a limited amount of time. We're given we're given uh, we're given a limited amount of resources, and it's our job to make the most of what we're given. So number one, it took it took the comparison of competition out. Like I, I didn't need to look like in some ways, one of the things that I really love doing is playing golf. Okay. So, but I don't like playing golf competitively against other people. I like playing golf against myself because I don't like the pressure of having to compete against someone else. I like just the pressure of having to compete with myself and get just personally develop. That's why I like golf. I don't play much of it anymore, but, um, but back to the parable of the talents, like it, it speaks to that, that it's really all about taking what God's given you, not looking at what everyone else has. You know, some people have a lot more talents than me. Um, but taking what the talents that I have, the talents that you have and saying, okay, I am going to invest this in whatever way I can. And almost to the point where I was obsessed with making sure that I was stewarding everything in my life. I became very aware of what I was like. I, from that point on, I think I was never bored. I've never been bored since then. I don't, I don't ever like, not that I do everything intentionally. I definitely, um, have my lazy times. I'm lazy almost every day. Like that's, that's not, that's not what I mean. Like I'm not like obsessive compulsive about it, but, but it definitely made me aware that I have, 
very limited amount of time. I have very limited amount of resources and I really want to make the most of it because I really believe in that. I think that's a, that's a good way to feel at the end of the day. That's a good way to feel at the end of a year or, or a season that, man, I gave it all that I had. And, um, you know, I learned as much as I could about this. I, um, I took what little gift I had in this and I, I made, made the most of it. Um, and that's what I've tried to do. And that's probably why you see a lot of things on the LinkedIn profile. Um, because, because I have been interested in a lot of different things and I've kind of always enjoyed, um, this idea that we as creatives, we, I love the idea of monetizing creativity, our creativity. I love the idea of stewarding the, th the creative gifts that God's given us and maximizing it. Like that's what wakes me up every day. I, I get excited for others. I get excited to help others do that. I get excited to do that for me personally. Um, and if I'm not involved in that, or doing that myself, then I'd, I'd feel a little bit lost. I feel a little bit like this is not, I'm not walking in my purpose. Who, who has been the most influential, influential person in your life? Chris Lockwood. No, not yet. <laughs> as, as you should be. <laughs> no, um, I, whew. probably the most influential person would probably be my dad. Um, my mom and my dad, I mean, I think it, whether we like it or not, if we've, you know, our, our parents are going to have the greatest influence on us, especially in our formative years, you know? Um, and they, it, not, not always like when I say influence for all of, all of us, like it's sometimes it's not a very positive influence, you know, but it's an influence nonetheless. Um, I think influence, uh, just like money uh, has no, you know, is, can be positive. It can be negative. It has, it can be good. It can be bad. Um, I think it's neutral. Um, it's just a matter of how are we going to use our influence? So I think my, my dad really exemplified a good influence in my life. Um, and, uh, gave me a lot of practical, uh, sound wisdom. I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for my dad uh, and my mom. I think my mom gave me a lot of, um, like she just, she just gave me a lot of peace. Like I, I always knew I was loved by my mom. I always knew I was cared for. Whereas with my dad, it was sometimes I felt like I had to perform for him or I had to be a certain person or say a certain thing in order to gain his acceptance. And I think that's where some of the, some of the rootedness of people pleasing kind of started in my life. You know, I would do, I would do or say just about anything to get, to get someone to like me, especially in my younger, younger years. Um, and even I see it even today, uh, you know, I'm 48 and, uh, I still, I still get very easily tempted to want to please people, um, to gain, to gain acceptance. And it's just, I, you know, I went through a really tough season where I, I really came face to face with that, that the ugliness of that, um, in my life. And I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, and I would love to talk about that because that was a significant, uh, season for me, um, from 2012 to 2017, 18, 
was a significant season for me. And I'd love to share some of that because I think there's a tremendous amount of lessons. Let's go for it. You want to go right there? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I I guess um, there's been a lot of people that have influenced my life. Um, uh, You know, and and Pastor Dale Everest, my first pastor, was a tremendous influence on my life, still is. Um, I don't go to the church there anymore, but he's been tremendously influential. Um, A lot of people I've worked with, uh, my mentor in work. uh, So I, I could probably list... 10 to 15 people that have been hugely influential in my life. Um, uh, and I would love, actually, I think that would be a good thing to do. Like for anybody, like just listen, list out who influenced you the most in your life and why, and, um, just kind of be grateful for those people and what they meant to you. I bet you could probably list 20 or 30 pretty easily if you really sat down and thought, have you ever done that? I don't know that I have. I should though. That's a good idea. I think it would be good in this season to, to do that. Um, I might do that. Uh, but anyway, so to share, to jump ahead to, uh, 2012. Um, so to, to get to that place, I just wanted to share one little bit. So I started, as soon as I accepted Christ, started walking with Christ, as soon as I began my life in marriage with my wife and we settled in. We had our first boy. I, I had in me, actually, I've always had this entrepreneurial bent in me. Um, I remember um, writing a, a, news, a newspaper or a newsletter for my neighborhood when I was maybe 10 or 11. We had a typewriter. Did you ever have one of those old typewriters that you could just like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 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 Make that loud noise. So we had, we had this typewriter and I was fascinated with the typewriter. And so I'm going to, so I said, I'm going to write a newsletter. And so I typed out this whole thing and I, I basically stole articles from the national geographic magazine that we got every month and uh, copied and pasted this, this newsletter together and, and like wrote my own articles and made copies of it. I made my, I asked my dad to make copies at work. So he made copies of this thing and stapled it together and I distributed it across the, just my, I lived in like a, a cul-de-sac and we had maybe 10, 12 homes in this cul-de-sac. And so I distributed it whether they wanted it or not. Uh, <laughs> I think I did two editions of this newsletter, um, but I, I actually like charged them 50 cents for it. <laughs> And some people actually paid me. Um, but yeah, it was just a dumb thing. But ever, I still remember that because it was such a, you know, I just, I'd love to do that. I loved garage sales. I loved when we had a garage sale. Thought it was fun to get money for stuff and sell stuff. Um, I sold, uh, back in the day, there was this really popular trendy thing called a dino sour egg. This was like this, this egg that was like the size of a quarter, maybe, maybe a silver dollar. And it was this, this egg that you would put in your mouth and you would suck on it and suck on it and suck on it. And it would like take you through, it had like 30 layers of sugar, sugary goodness until you got to the middle. And in the middle was like this was the, the, the grand finale of, of like just sour, like the sour stuff. Like, you, you know, you, 
like your kids probably love to have now. And um, so anyway, these were hugely popular and I would sell them. I'd buy them for a quarter at the local store and I'd sell them in school for 50 cents. And um, this was like in middle school and I got in trouble for selling stuff in school and I couldn't sell, but I made, I made a lot of money on those down dino sour eggs <laughs> as a kid. Um, anyway, so that was, anyway, I don't know why I'm, I'm kind of going all over the place here with this, but um, I definitely had an entrepreneurial bent um, back in the day. I can see the seeds of that, uh, you know, and in 2003, 2005, um, I finally like had the guts because I was working as a, I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over the place. This is not a very organized, thorough explanation, but, um, I was working in the Christian music industry. So I worked for Warner brothers, uh, as a, the head of international, the German background that I had and the Dale Carnegie actually got me my first job, uh, as the head of international for Warner brothers. Warner Brothers, the Christian division, Warner Alliance, a real small label. And I did a lot of things, but international was one of my jobs. And so, you know, I got to dive in and talk to people from all around the world and, and distribute Christian music to all of these people and learned how to do that. And then I worked for Provident Music Group, which was another larger Christian label. And I did international for them. And then I worked at Word Entertainment. Um, and so this was in the span of from 1980, 1996 to, to 2004, I worked in the Christian music industry in the corporate kind of world and kind of got chopped. What is the word? Cut my teeth or I don't know. I don't know what the word is that my German shows every once in a while. Cause I don't know how to <laughs> phrase things, but, um, but yeah, so, so I kind of cut my chops, cut my teeth in that, in that <laughs> world. Well, I don't know what the word is. There's something about get my, got my chops. What is it, Chris? Help me here. It's cut my, it, Give I think me it's a cut lifeline. My teeth. Cut my teeth. Okay. Yeah. So I cut my teeth in this, uh, this world. And then, so I, I, I couldn't help. I couldn't get out of my head this idea of starting my own company and doing an international licensing and distribution company. So I finally, had the guts to tell my boss in 2004, who was great. I, I'm still super good friends with him today, um, that I was ready to jump ship, but I didn't want to leave right away. I wanted to kind of train up the next person for the role. And so for the next six months, I got to train up the next person to fill my role. And they had layoffs and it was perfect timing. Um, and, and he was able to, I was able to to at least get a somewhat of a severance and get some, some financial, uh, backing for my venture to venture out and begin to work with independent artists, independent labels and license their music. And I tell you what, there's nothing more motivating than knowing that your money's going to run out to get you to work. Uh, so, <laughs> so I, I hustled, uh, that's really when I started to hustle was when I became, I had to pay for my own health insurance. I had to provide for my two kids, my wife and two kids. Um, my wife was working as a piano instructor part-time, but you know, that was it. She wasn't, she was just beginning to, to write songs and she really had no, you know, no other income. And her only skill was music at that time. Um, and so she used it however she could, but 
man, we just hustled. I, I had a, a four-year-old son and a two-year-old son at the time, and they were running around, uh, much like your kids are right now. And um, uh, it was it was hard to find a quiet place in the, in our nineteen hundred square foot house um, in Franklin. And uh, but man, that's when I started. It was just the Skype was just kind of coming into um, coming into being. So I literally I, one of the best things I had was I had a partner in England. And we would literally talk almost every day on Skype and we would um, we would strategize together about because he was going to be my my guy in England and Europe. He would represent all of the music that I that I uh, represented um, into Europe and I would represent all of his music that he represented into the U.S. And so I was kind of like this broker, this music broker of, of talent. Um, and I would uh, take U.S. talent, U.S. products, U.S. DVDs, U.S. CDs, and I would um, license them into 90 countries around the world. And they would um, then manufacture those CDs there locally. Uh, I was able to give them all the parts we used to call them. Uh, online, like the artwork and graphics. I spent $5,000 on a website. Crazy to think that you would spend that much on a website. But this was 2005. Uh, and, um, and so had a great, effective website, was able to deliver at really low download speeds uh, these graphics. I had to ship the CDs. Uh, there was no way to upload music at that time um, effectively. So yeah, man, we just did it. And, and I hustled and in the international sales, you don't get paid for like nine months on work you do at that time. So like it took me nine months to start getting royalty payments coming in and, uh, and additional money coming in. So, yeah, I mean, I hustled those first five years. We built a, um, uh, I think our best year, we did about $500,000, uh, in gross, gross revenue. You know, the net was you know, I, you know, I, 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 maybe I took home 60 or $80,000 at that time, you know, but it was good enough to kind of get us going. But out of that, I had to pay for healthcare and had to pay for all these things that a self-employed person would do at that time. I would say I was definitely self-employed and I was not like a business owner really. Um, I'm one of the most influential books, which probably for you too, was rich dad, poor dad. I don't know if you've ever read it, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad rocked my world, the whole cash flow quadrant, understanding, oh, I'm actually living in the self-employed world. You know, I'm trade. I'm still trading my time for my money. And uh, then I read The 4-Hour Workweek, which further emphasized this in 2007, 2008. And um, I began to realize that I was not doing, I was not operating in a... Um, in a, in a cash flow, in a way that I could trade my, you know, I, I basically was not operating in a way where if I stopped working, I, I would continue to get money. Yes, I would probably get some royalties from my work nine months later, but eventually the money would dry out. Uh, and that kind of became scary. So, so I, uh, then 2008 hit. Okay. 2008 was pretty detrimental for a lot of people. 
um, my business suffered as well. We, the company that um, literally in September, or August, a company in England bought about $50,000 worth of product, physical products from us. I shipped those products to them knowing that they would pay me in 90 days, 60 to 90 days from then. Well, in that 60 to 90 day period, they ended up going bankrupt and they couldn't pay me $50,000. But I still owed the company in the U.S. about $30,000. So I was going to make a nice $20,000 margin on this sale, but I, I couldn't then. And thankfully, the U.S. company uh, was really gracious to me, and they allowed me to just kind of start making payments on the products that I had bought from them. The company had in the U.K. had already sold those products off, so they couldn't return them. Um, long story short, uh, what that caused me to do at that point, I was largely only dependent on this one business. We didn't have any other source of significant income coming in. So that's when I, another, see, I see this time right now that we're going through with, with COVID-19, this pandemic, I see this as another 2008, 2009. This is an opportunity for people to take advantage and, and, and like you're doing, you're starting to, to do some very different things because of it. And I think what you, what people are doing now to make changes because they're forced to is going to be a huge blessing for them long-term. That's kind of how I see it because it's the same thing that happened to me in 2008. So what that caused me to do was say, okay, how can I add another source of income into my business? That's when I started composing my instrumental series, the quiet time music, and I started distributing it. So I was able to make almost all of them, the money from that. Um, I started recording music with Chrissy more and we were able to make more money from the recordings that we had from that. But the best thing I did was start an Amazon and an eBay merchandising business at that time. So, uh, at the time the whole like third party merchant was just kind of up and coming. It was kind of created to, to compete with eBay, which was really big still at that time. eBay was, was, was a significant player in the whole, you know, everybody's selling their own stuff. And so I knew I could source uh, audiobooks. I knew I could source music and DVDs from various different people that I'd built relationships with. And so I knew I could get it for like 70, 80% discount, some of it. And that was a godsend for me. So I basically started buying stuff from people at deep discounts and I started reselling it on Amazon. And I started learning the tricks of the trade. I understood, you know, um, how, how to sell on Amazon, how to sell on eBay and became actually a greater source of income for me than the international business. Um, and it helped me pay off, pay off the debt, you know, cause I had, like I said, I had about 30, $35,000 in debt, which to me, I hate debt. I'm a big, you know, I, Dave Ramsey is probably one of my influences um as well and uh so i i needed to get rid of that debt as quickly as possible and um within six months you know what's so great about that is that you know if any for anybody that's listening the idea that you know your distributing company probably sounds more corporate and big idea and more 
elaborate, but being creative with the things that seem insignificant. Because like, you know, at the time, a third party sort of, I'm a be little Amazon seller doesn't sound all that sexy, you know, but it's not sexy, but it turned into something, you know, significant for you. So the idea of no idea is a dumb idea, you know? Well, I think desperation leads you to some of your best ideas and your best things. So, you know, I'll tell you all that that did for me. Number one, it created a whole nother revenue stream for me. I mean, my, at, I set up my whole garage. I took the cars out of the garage it became my shipping and receiving warehouse and everything was done out of there. Um, I, I was shipping like 60 packages a day in December. November, by the end of November, early December, all throughout the month of December until like the 22nd of December, I was shipping crazy numbers of orders. So I would spend hours and hours in the garage, you know, picking, packing, receiving, shipping stuff out. And I got to know my postal workers at the local uh u.s postal service super well because they would i would literally be there every day with boxes of stuff (laughs) and um but what it also started doing for me is that's when i started listening to podcasts first i was listening to uh the dave ramsey podcast because i was motivated by getting out of debt like that was the whole reason I was doing it. And I loved hearing all the stories. I loved like gleaning from, from him, how to get out of debt. And it was, it was like no brainer stuff, obviously the stuff he teaches, but I just needed to hear it every single day. I needed to hear it because it was, it was my daily motivation to, to, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Cause this is really lame work. But I found like a tremendous amount of joy in just the ther and therapy. Kind of like a lot of people say cutting grass, you know, or landscaping business is great therapy because they can just kind of get lost in their thoughts. That's kind of how this was for me. It was just like getting lost in my podcast or getting lost in an audio book or uh, so, but I listened, started listening to podcasts more seriously. Then I listened to um, Internet Business Mastery, which was hugely influential in my life. Um, they basically taught you how to build your own websites, how to set up your business so that you could earn passive income from an online business. And this was, you know, 2009, 2010. So that wasn't a tremendously new thing, but it was in many ways, like Twitter had just started and Facebook was really just kind of getting going at that point. So, you know, Ever, there were so many possibilities in the online space that it really piqued my curiosity. And it took me about two years of listening to podcasts about this. I started listening to, to Pat Flynn, Smart Passive Income as well. And, and just kind of, it took me two years of listening to these guys to finally have the guts to set up my own website. Once the Amazon and eBay business was systemized um, and I, I, I even put my kids to work or I, I had people that I hired to do work for me, eventually I could focus more time I began to to actually like put the principles I was learning in Rich Dad Poor Dad and for our work week and on um, these uh, these uh, podcasts and audiobooks that I was listening to like I was just consuming this stuff but there was a lot of fear like it took me years to finally have the guts to live out the life that I was sort of dreaming about living I was hearing about you know, so I'm kind of a late bloomer. Like, you know, you were saying you're a late bloomer. I, I'm definitely a, I'm not a, like a, I'm not a, a big risk taker. 
I wish I was more of a risk taker and I'll share more about that here in a minute. But, um, but I, it took me a long time to finally build these businesses. But once I did, I, I kicked myself. Why haven't I started these businesses sooner? I started learning about how to, how to do opt-ins and uh, lead generation and, and, and begin to take people on a funnel before funnels were cool. We, you know, I was learning about this whole funnel principle. It wasn't even called a funnel at that time. I think it was called like, I don't know what internet business mastery called it, but something similar, you know, it's like a marketing, a way of um, building influence um, and building trust with people. Um, and, and so podcasting was, was always something I was curious about doing. I'd never done it. I started a business with my wife called um, the Music Coaches. That was my first like business that I started in 2011 um, out, outside of the, the passive music income, like quiet time. And, and um, spirit, I started a, a, a workout <laughs> company called spirit fit music. It was like music for workout, Christian music for, for workouts. <laughs> <laughs> you can still find it. It's, it's still out there and it's still active, but I sold it to my producer friend who produced all the music for me. Um, nice, but yeah. Anyway, uh, really cheesy stuff at first. He's doing an even way better job of it now than I ever could have. But anyway, uh, so after Spirit Fit Music and Quiet Time Music, which are still passive, uh, Quiet Time still a very passive income stream for me. Um, but uh, after that, I started the Music Coaches. So basically, I was going to teach. I was the business guy, and Chrissy was the creative person. So we did this, like, um, we founded the website. I think we started doing some stuff on Twitter and on Facebook. And somehow we, we, we gathered a, a small community of people and we would do these weekly uh, go-to webinar, this is before Zoom, go-to webinar calls with these up-and-coming musicians. And I, I don't know if you know Matt Price, but Matt Price is, is a friend of ours now. He does all, our, all of our bookkeeping and business uh, stuff. But he, it turns out he was one of the people that, that got our opt-in and was influenced by the music coaches. So we did this for about a year, this music coaches, these, go to, these free webinars. We never got to the, like my hope was that I would gain a lot of coaching clients from it. I did gain some coaching clients from it, but never anything significant. But just the exercise of doing it was more valuable because it helped prepare me for how I could really, you know, explode some of our online business um, a little bit later. But, but I had to do like, I think it's really important for people to hear that you have to just do it. Like, the, you know, you're never going to be a successful songwriter if you're not writing songs or if you're not writing enough songs, you're never going to be a successful anything, in my opinion, unless you're doing it and you're just doing it, doing it, doing it for the love of it, for, for no money at first, you know, don't expect a lot at first. Sometimes you're going to experience several failures before you, you hit on something, you know? So I think it's important to keep investing. That's, I see that as an investment. That's not a waste of money or time. That's an investment in yourself, an investment in your business. It's an it's investment in you to be doing these things and experimenting. Um, plus, it gave me a lot of joy. Like there was such creativity in, in the challenge of creating this website. And, you know, I con constantly would run into technical technical. 
obstacles and, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and you run into, oh, I don't believe I can do this. And I don't believe it's possible, but how are these guys doing it? And you start, you know, you kind of go through all these questions of wrestling, like, am I really, can I really do this? And, and then you get a breakthrough and you, it opens up new opportunities for you. And you, as long as you stick with it and you keep pursuing and dealing with rejection and dealing with all the opposition that comes along the way, you're going to experience that breakthrough. You're going to experience it. It's just a matter of staying, staying with it and sticking with it and pivoting if you need to and changing and not being afraid to, to change things up um, and look at things from, it's like kind of like a, a puzzle or a Rubik's cube or whatever. Like you're looking at it from a new perspective, like always be turning and twisting this thing and that you're holding, you know, that you, that God's given you to steward like just, okay, you're, you're telling me to steward this thing. Or I, I know I feel like I want to take my creativity and, and make it actually earn an income for me, but I don't see how I can do that. And, and far too many people give up instead of looking at it from different angles and perspectives. I think that's really important, you know? Yeah. And so you started this music company with Christy, this mm-hmm. coaching thing, and then did the... She got sick of it. Did she? <laughs> but oddly enough, she's, she's starting like, to do it again. I know. I know. <laughs> um, We're so kind did, of doing go Music Coaches 2.0 right now. So did, 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 the, did the Walking Dead follow soon after? Yes, yes. So that's exactly kind of where, so 2012 hits. Okay, so Chrissy has a, a hit song um, in 2010, 2011 with Natalie Grant, Your Great Name. She In 2012, early 2012, she wins the Dove Award for Worship Song of the Year. And it's, um, it's like a, a big change for her. From this point on, like sh- she realizes that she can do music full time. And uh, so... She literally starts to get publishing offers and, and her career begins to explode. And uh, so that's all happening in 2012. Another thing that happens is even though her career is exploding, I'm, uh, she's experiencing a tremendous amount of pain health-wise. Like her health, she struggled with Lyme disease in 2003, 2004, and just kind of overcame that. Um, and then, but it's, she started to see kind of a resurgence of symptoms in 2012. And so literally, like, even though she's having all the success musically and songwriting, she um, is literally laying in, climbing into the Walmart shopping cart to rest while we're shopping. That's how, like, she's in so much pain. She has so much inflammation in her body. She's tired, exhausted. I've never seen her look more pale. Like she's not doing well and it's because of these resurgence of symptoms. And so in July of 2012 or August, um, we decide to start seeking some natural um, opportunities to, to help heal her body. So we, we sign up with our first chiropractor uh, and we start going to the chiropractor, but yet she's also seeing her regular doctor and her regular doctor is telling her to go back on pain medication, not pain medication, um, antibiotics, another round of heavy, deep antibiotics. And so we had our feet in around September, October, we had our feet in both like natural and regular traditional medicine. 
And I kind of, we kind of had a, a come, come to Jesus discussion, Chrissy and I did about, um, about what are we doing here? Are we choosing natural or are we choosing medical? Like, I, I don't want to spend, we're spending, it was money discussion. I was like, I don't want to spend $200 on our family to go to the chiropractor and then $200 a month as well, at least, or more thousands of dollars in medical bills for all of this treatment. That's not natural. So that's when she goes to her first essential oils class and learns about a Lyme disease protocol. And this is very non-compliant, but that's the truth of what happened. And she begins to experiment with essential oils. And very quickly, within six weeks, she is a completely different woman. She has all the energy again. She doesn't look pale. She looks healthy and she's strong. And she begins to share naturally with her friends. We've never been a network marketing couple. Like we don't ever do that kind of stuff. But I'd always said I was intrigued by it because I'd heard enough about people having success with it. It's a great training tool. I said, if you ever find something that you love, I'd love to help you on the business side. And so uh, November, December, she's sharing. She obviously loves the product. We're, we're helping other people get accounts. And by the end of the year, we've enrolled, you know, um, 20 people, we've helped 20 people get accounts or so, maybe 10. I don't know how many it was, but not, not a significant number. And so we have one of those conversations and I say, you know, I've always wanted to start a podcast. Why don't we build and why don't we connect with people through a podcast about our story, about essential oils, about our love for, for this product. And so we did, we called it faithful wellness and we grew in, in a matter of 13 months from that point on, from January 2013 till February of 2014, we grew our doTERRA business and we, we went from earning, you know, nothing really, a couple hundred dollars a month to earning $12,000 a month in this business through growing our, um, our network. And through the podcast, like half of our audience found us through the podcast. So we were talking every week about our stories. We were sharing our stories, sharing her stories, sharing about our belief in the product. And we started helping people enroll and build their own accounts. And we started helping them build their own business. And we had people in Jacksonville, Florida and Minnesota um, calling us, asking for advice. We Chrissy started a Facebook group that grew to a couple thousand people to help them with Lyme disease. And we were very open about it at this time. This was before the FDA came down and said, listen, you can't make all these disease claims. They, you know, told everyone not to do this anymore. And so we had to stop this, but, but in 2012, 2013, 2014, that's how we built our business was through podcasting. Now at the same time, uh, in October, my next door neighbor and I started watching the walking dead together um, at night. <laughs> and, um, actually that's that whole summer, that whole summer, I kind of binge watched the first two seasons of the walking dead. Cause it, had, I think it premiered in 2011 or 2010. And so, and we were in season three of the walking dead. And so my neighbor and I, yeah, like we, we would go, I would go over to his house. He had a, like one of those movie screen, uh, basement, uh, like a big screen, uh, in our, in his, in his basement. And we would go over and watch um, our favorite show at the time. We both bonded already. We watched Lost. Uh, both of us love the show Lost um, together. And um, 
before I knew it, like I didn't realize that James, my, my partner in this whole thing, um, was such a high D, uh, type a personality. Like he was way more type a than I was way more driver than I was. I didn't realize this at the time. I just thought we'd love the show together. Well, little did I know, like he was like starting to follow all of these walking dead, uh, locations, sites. Like he was really, he was so much into lost. Like he, he got to know, like he went on lost tours and he went to con- conventions. He went to comic cons and, and like really got into the whole, like meeting celebrities and all of that stuff. And, um, he said, listen, they're, they're filming the last, uh, episode of the walking dead in Sonoy, Georgia, which is just South of Atlanta. This was November 15th. He tells me they're filming it tomorrow. How about we just like leave early, really early in the morning and then just go check it out and see what we can see. And I thought that was kind of cool. So the next day, the next morning, he shows up at three in the morning at my house. Uh, we drive my car to Atlanta and by 10 a.m., uh, we have met our first celebrity. Like we go onto the set, we go check it out. They're filming in this little town called Sonoy, which they convert to a place called Woodbury in the, in the series, in the series. And, um, so we're literally like seeing these places that this, this town of Woodbury, and it's like, everything is, it's like, it was fascinating just to kind of be in this place. And there was maybe like five of us, you know, like fanning, fanboying over the celebrities. And they, you know, they're in their trailers and they're walking to and from, and they come out and say hi to greet us and sign an autograph, you know, and then go back to work. And so by the end of the day, we went to all these locations, all of our favorite locations from the, from the series. We, we met about eight to 10 of the main celebrities, including Rick Grimes, who's kind of the main guy, including Daryl, who's also one of the, you know, the hottest actors on the show. Uh, Norman Reedus uh, is his name. And Rick Grimes is, is played by Andrew Lincoln. And we met all these people. Like it was, it was amazing. And they spent time with us. We, we spent like an hour hanging out with the woman that uh, plays Carol from uh, her name is uh, Melissa McBride. And she was just, couldn't have been the nicest person. The, the crew were super kind to us. You know, Atlanta is a bursting film and TV scene anyway, but like this was our first kind of exposure into this whole scene in Atlanta. And, um, man, we just came back like on a total high. We drove back that night. It was like midnight. We finally, you know, make our way back. And along the way, uh, we started talking about our love for podcasts and how I had always wanted to start a podcast. So I literally started these, this faithful wellness podcast for our doTERRA business and the walking dead Walker stalkers, um, podcast around the same time. I think I started Walker stalkers a, a couple of weeks before, uh, in December. So we just start, you know, with a crappy microphone and just us sitting in our, this basement where I am right now. And we're just, you know, talking about our experience. Uh, we called ourselves the Walker Stalkers because that's what a lady there named us. She put us, <laughs> she put Walker Stalkers in the phone, um, in, in her phone for James's phone number to call. And so she could call him and let him know, um, you know, when a celebrity was going to come out or what was happening at a different location. Cause we went off and checked out a few other places around the area where they filmed. 
And uh, so, yeah, that's how we got the name is she just called us Walker Stalkers. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, man, within after about six episodes of really bad, um, like we would talk about uh, survival tricks and tips. We'd have like a survivalist from the neighborhood on and uh, we would um, dream about being zombies or walkers on the show that that was a kind of our mission one of our missions with starting this podcast was to eventually be on the show as walkers and um, then we would pretend to have callers to our podcast uh oh my gosh yeah it was really bad like we made up this character his name was uh chris pendleton and he lived in his mom's basement and uh, he would call in and he was a big fan of the comics of The Walking Dead, but he didn't like the show. And so he would argue with us. And it was basically James in another voice, you know, pretending. Um, and so we would have these, de you know, delightful conversations with uh, Chris. And then I, I pretended to be calling from Germany and I did my German accent, which I can do really well. And, you know, be all excited to be fanboying with with uh, the rest of us with with uh, James and me. And, um, but eventually like we tried for about six weeks to get a real actor from the show. Eventually we were able to get the head of special effects. His name is Greg Nicotero. We were able to get Greg to come on the podcast and we were giddy. We were nervous. We were giddy. We're like, this is real now. We're getting a real person that's actually willing to come on our podcast. And so we, we had a little gimmick. Our thing was, because we were in Music City, that we would write a parody song for every guest that we had. So we asked Greg in an email what was his favorite uh, you know, artist. And I think he said, um, uh, oh gosh, what is the band name? Um, it's not Def Leppard, Led Zeppelin. So it was Led Zeppelin. And, uh, and so we did a parody of a Led Zeppelin song to intro him. And when the podcast came out, like he didn't hear that at the time because it was just an interview, but we, we put that song in there. We edited that song in there and he loved it. And he shared it with all the actors. He played the song cause it was like, you know, Greg Nicotero. Dun, dun, dun. I don't remember the name of the song, but um, it's just a popular Led Zeppelin song. Anyway, and he thought it was so cool. It was really, really dumb, but it was great. And um, and so he shared it with all the actors. And before we knew it, every week we would get a new actor coming on the show. Like that opened up the floodgate. And we had 28 straight weeks of episodes with an actor. And we actually started getting real listeners we started getting a real social media following. Um, and within 90 days, we became the number two podcast on television and inter entertainment category for Apple podcasts at the time. And so like, and we had, we organized a, a meetup, a little meetup. We thought, you know, we'd go down to Atlanta and we'd watch the end of season three there, which happened to be the episode that we went and visited. Uh, when we saw them filming, which was kind of cool. And we thought we'd bring a couple, like Melissa McBride, we invited her to come, and we had a couple of B or C-level actors to come as well. And people came from Canada, from Oklahoma, from Connecticut, from all over the place, as well as a lot of people locally. We, I think it was like we had about 100 people there, but it was so awesome. Like, this was like a real deal. We, we were on such a high that 100 people 
that the, from our little podcast, we could get a hundred people to come and pay to come and, and, and do a season finale party with us that right afterwards, James and I, it was really James driving this. He said, listen, we should do like a, another meetup, but do like the season premiere, which was six months from now. And so we planned it and we, we sold out, we sold 400 tickets within a, a week uh, of the season premiere that was going to be happening in October, that following October. Um, and during that time between, I guess, March and October, James had another idea. He went to a Comic-Con, came back and said, I think we could do a convention. I think we could do a small convention in Atlanta. And I was like, oh man, like this was starting to become like I'm getting heart palpitations because this guy is pushing me to do way more than I want to do. Also on top of this, like it was, it was taking up a lot of time, this podcast, like James and I, every day we were talking every day we were planning and I had my other businesses. Like I had, a, we had a thriving doTERRA business. We had the stuff going on with Chrissy's music. We had my international distribution. We had our Amazon and eBay business. I had set up, we had bought a new house at this point and I'd set up all my warehouse stuff all here in this basement. And James was like pushing me so far beyond my comfort zone to the point where Chrissy and I would start having fights. Like it was like, she would begin to be like, why are you like, are you, like, do you love him more? Are you married to him? Like, who are you married to? What about your family? Like, it was bad. It was really bad. Um, and w I tried to quit the podcast with the Walker Stalkers a couple of times. Um, Did you have licensing issues? Um, no, we didn't actually. We couldn't. Um, we could talk about The Walking Dead. Um, it was very um, Wild West at that time. Once we started with the convention, we could definitely not, like AMC owned the copyright. We could definitely not use the AMC logo. We couldn't even talk about the characters because they own the rights to the characters. So we had to be careful not to be, that this convention would be a, a walking dead convention. It couldn't be, uh, it had to be, uh, of all things, a horror, a sci-fi and horror convention is what we had to portray this as and we had to get a few like horror actors like we had the guy from gremlins we had um we had the guy from breaking bad the bad guy from breaking bad Giancarlo esposito we had um just some dude you know actors i know he was he was awesome but we we had to get some other actors from you know horror films like we had freddie we had freddie we had um we had jason one of the Jason actors. Anyway, it was crazy. Like I don't even I don't even watch horror movies. But we had to kind of do this to keep it from being a Walking Dead convention. But we had 40 we ended up having 40 actors from the show from Walking Dead there and maybe 10 from other things. But anyway, this turned into a way bigger thing than I ever imagined it would be. We started a Kickstarter uh and we needed to raise 15 grand. We, we committed to reserving and filling uh, 500, 600 nights, 600 hotel room nights, 600 rooms for two nights uh, in Atlanta, the Westin Hotel. You know, the big, there's two, there's like these, the Westin Hotel is like two, two big um, circular buildings. They're real identifiable in Atlanta. 
so we booked the Westin for this weekend, and um, then we booked the convention center. Like we were on the hook for, like if we didn't sell tickets, we were, we were gonna have like half a million dollars in debt. You know, it was like it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money that that James, but we just needed to raise fifteen grand to to book the first actor over the summer. It was June fourteenth. We had to raise 15 grand or else we wouldn't raise anything. So we, after two weeks of our Kickstarter, we had only raised like two grand for this thing. And so then we kicked it into a whole nother level of social media promotion. We got creative. We gave away all kinds of stuff just to get to our 15,000 number. So we could use that money to, uh, to, to commit the guarantee for the first actor. So, Man, it was scary. During that time, I, I tried to quit. I wrote James a long email. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I almost lost my house in 2008, or I felt like it. You know, I, It was a struggle in 2008, 2009. I don't want to go through that again. I'm not going to put myself at risk like this. And um, he assured me, listen, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And, and sure enough, we raised our 15 grand. We, uh, we got slowly we started as we got every actor we started promoting the fact that we got this big actor we got the next big actor eventually rick grimes andrew lincoln the main character committed to coming to our convention it was like and once that happened once daryl committed or norman reedus committed and and andrew lincoln committed ticket sales went crazy like we we ended up having for us this was a big deal like for our first convention not one year later it was november 1st through the 3rd of 2013 remember november 16th 2012 we went on this little trip not even a year later we had 11,000 people at our convention hall we booked the rooms we barely we barely broke even we might have lost a few grand but we did it we did it we did a very terrible job um but people had a blast everybody had such a blast and um I thought, you know, coming out of this, I thought, great, we have a convention. We'll, we'll keep our podcast going. We've got a great group of fans. We'll do one convention a year in Atlanta, Georgia. It'll be awesome. Well, the following week, James says to me, listen, how about we travel this convention around and do this in other cities? Like I could do Chicago, Boston. He starts listing all these cities. And I'm just like, oh, I'm crying. I'm literally like, I, I can't handle that. That was the most stressful experiencing experience I had managing 5,000 angry fans who want to see their favorite celebrities and dealing with all the volunteers. Like we had to have like a hundred volunteers to, to manage the lines and all of the people and the vendors and ticket sales and everything. Anyway, it was a whole like craziness of, of a year. And you're just learning as you go. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We do nothing. I mean, Dale Carnegie made his, uh, made his, uh, his face, uh, shine, uh, very strong. Cause what I learned from Dale Carnegie was take a sincere interest in other people, smile, Take, you know, I learned how to build community. I learned how to interact with people. I learned how to calm people down. I had a lot of angry people who were, didn't want to wait in a two hour line. And I just literally just met them face to face, explained them. I learned a ton about leadership. 
about how to, how to deal and interact with people, how to lead a group of a volunteer army. Um, so as much as I hated that James put me in this position and that I allowed myself to be put in this position, I grew so much. I learned so much. James is definitely on my list of, of influencers in my life. Um, so I grew a ton, but, but it got really unhealthy for uh, after that. Uh, you know, number one, I, it, walking dead is, is a gory show. You know, it's not a, it's not a, uh, a clean family friendly show. Although our conventions, we really tried to make them family friendly. Uh, but, um, so first of all, allowing all of this horror and all of this gore and, you know, all this stuff into my house, I started having all these collectibles. James was a, is a giver. He's his love language is giving gifts. So he would give me all these posters and sign things of people as zombies and like all these cool, like collectibles. And so my house began to be filled with collectibles and all this beautiful Christian stuff that was everywhere started to go down. And we started putting posters of me with, you know, celebrities up and, you know, all of our cool antics and activities. So you can imagine this was not going, this was not planting a good seed in my marriage. Um, and, uh, I started allowing that to just kind of protrude into our house. Uh, and James would, would, would set me up and commit me to more and more things. And, you know, our life got totally enthralled with this walking dead. Whereas we had this thriving doTERRA business and all these other things going on musically. So eventually that couldn't last forever. Uh, eventually we started having a bit of a falling out with, uh, James and his wife and, there began to be a lot of pressure and things put on Chrissy that she didn't really want to deal with. She really tried to be super supportive. Like she, she did everything she could to support. She even wrote songs with us, parody songs. Cause we wrote parody songs for every celebrity. We had a lot of fun with the podcast, but she really tried to be a good support to me, but I really put her in very compromising situations to the point where some stuff was happening. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to talk badly about um, James and Danielle because at this time they, they were going through a ton of pressure as well. And there's a lot of grace uh, for each other. We've since had some really good like healing conversations, but at the time it was really difficult for us. And um, you know, we were doing <clears throat> for 2015. So 2014, we did four conventions. We had uh, 40,000 people or 30,000 people at the Atlanta one. Um, so it tripled in size, uh, and we, it was just exploding. Everything was exploding. We actually got to be walkers on the show, uh, right after the convention, we got invited to fulfill the dream that we had of being walkers on the show. We were on the set for tw 14 hours. They make it, put us in makeup. It was the best. I mean, it was so fun. Like there were so many highs, but there were also these lows that were about to hit. Are you making a profit? I mean, are you, be, are you being, yes. you're being influencers obviously, but like, are you making a profit doing this? Yes. Yeah. 2014, we started to become profitable. 2015 was when it really became a pretty, because we had, I think 12 cities. We mm -hmm. were doing these conventions oh, and they were selling, selling out. Eventually it would become a cruise. It would be that would sell out in a day. It would become a, uh, we London, 
Australia, three cities in Australia, Germany. Uh, it, you know, there was there was a lot of growth uh, for the whole Walker Stalkers brand at this time. Uh, but I couldn't experience a lot of that because at the end of 2014, beginning of 2015, um, it really came to a head because my daughter had come to the convention in Atlanta uh, and she saw some things there. People dress up in cosplay, you know, they dress up as zombies and they walk around and she was five, barely five at this time. And she saw some things there that really negatively affected her. Like she got scared. She started being super afraid. She just started kindergarten and she was at, we sent her to a private school with our son who's also going there. And she started having like incessant tears, like crying the whole day to the point where Chrissy would pick her up and she, she was swollen. Her, her eyes were swollen and she was, she had just been literally crying the whole day. Um, and she couldn't stop like every day she would go to school and she would be incessantly afraid. Um, and it just, it just, it hurt us so badly. And, and we, we were like, why is she doing this? And then she came down with strep throat, uh, and long story short, after a bunch of tests and starting to bring her to a counselor, we pulled her out of school. Uh, we, we identified that there were some things that all the pressure, all the horror stuff in the house, all the pressure that I was under and all the stress that, that I was bringing home and obviously carrying and all the stress that our marriage was going through on top of her sickness, it all just sort of added up to a very bad recipe for her. And we ended up homeschooling her for the rest of the year. Um, uh, and through a bunch of counseling, it was determined that, you know, a lot of it was a result of what I was doing. And so I, I had to make, and Chrissy, it, it really came to a head in January of 2015, where she said to me one day, you know, listen, if you want to do this stuff, you know, you're basically married to this other couple. You're doing whatever they want you to do. You're doing whatever James wants you to do. That's fine. Go ahead and do it. But the kids and I are out. Like we're gone. Like it became that bad. And I'd never imagined that that would ever happen. Cause I'm honestly, like I try to be such a family person and I try to, I really value that so much, but I got totally caught up in the fame and the, the excitement and all of the promises and, you know, the pleasing was a big part of that, trying to please James and please my wife and please everyone, please God, please, you know, it was all this pleasing stuff, um, that, that, that I realized was going on in my life. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I told James, I said, I really am going to need to stop doing this now. And he saw it this time, like he knew he couldn't, you know, talk me back into it. Although he did try a few, a few times. Um, I mean, he was emotionally a wreck too. And what I realized about James going through this, the next three months, we finished up the podcast. We finished up the season. I went to one more convention to kind of say goodbye to the team. We had built a very close community of leaders and, and volunteers and, you know, a very tearful goodbye we watched the episode that we were featured on as zombies together, and it was kind of this really sweet, bittersweet time. But at the end of March of 2015, uh, I 
did my last episode and we said goodbye to everybody and sold my half of whatever value it was at that time. Now, I'll tell you, if I had sold it a couple of years later, I'd be a multimillionaire. I don't think James could have bought it from me, but I definitely wasn't because we had not built up enough profitability at that point. Um, but I did, I did strike somewhat of an arrangement that was good compensation for me in this, you know, a transition, but it started, uh, uh, a avalanche of other issues after 18 years of marriage, 17 years of marriage at this point, uh, that took me about three or four, almost, yeah, four years to, to finally, to see our marriage, uh, flourish again. Uh, and to see our, our home life floor, you know, there was, after that, there was, you know, all this n other stuff kind of came out, uh, about stuff that we had kind of buried in the midst of dealing with a busy family and just things that I was doing that, that caused a lot of pain to Chrissy and a lot of wounds. And man, it was, it was a tremendously eye-opening time and humbling time for me to see what I was bringing into our marriage and into our family <clears throat> that, you know, I, I went through a lot of counseling, a lot of coaching to kind of see, especially the pleasing part, which is a big rooted part of that. Like who, who am I really like my relationship with God deepened tremendously because I was so broken by the fact that it was, it was just like, I was living a, a life that was not true to God, true to myself and true to everyone else around me. There was a lot of, a lot of lies building up. Anyway, I've talked a long time, so I'll let you. <clears throat> what, what did you, uh, give, give us a couple, like two or three of the biggest lessons you learned out of that. Cause I mean, usually it's the hardest times that where we learn the most, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, well I learned that as much as I had great Dale Carnegie skills, that that doesn't really translate into good communication skills in the home. I realized that um, uh, that I was communicating from a place of selfishness rather than a place of truly surrendered to God. Like not really, I I learned what it really means. And I'm still always learning parts of this and bits of this, but the major lesson I learned was what it really means to surrender myself. Like not just say that I'm surrendered, but to literally to come to the end of my own self. Like there was a lot of anger in me. I had a lot of anger, a lot of resentment towards Chrissy that I didn't realize was there. Uh, and it would reveal itself in little jabs or looks or um, ways that I would say things. And I realized that our biggest fights came as a result of me. It started, always was rooted with me and wanting to not see some of the ugliness that was really inside of me. You know, I'd never really come to the point of like looking at my sinfulness and it was, <clears throat> it was just selfishness and sinfulness and, and a lot of stuff that I'd never really seen in myself until I came face to face with it. When, when I needed to, I had to, uh, because if I didn't see it, 
my marriage was not going to survive. You have to, you have to humble yourself to the point where you have to be willing to uh, die to yourself. And I think I learned more about what Jesus means when he talks about the first shall be last and the last shall be first in the kingdom of God. Um, and uh, that, that taking up your cross, what it means to take up your own cross uh, and carry it. Um, it was just a lot of fighting against that. Um, took a lot of arguing with God, a lot of anger towards God, a lot of anger at myself. I realized how much I was really uh, being so hard. All this personal development, while it's good, can can be so self-centered that it can be almost self-abusive, if that makes any sense. Like you can, you can abuse yourself. We abuse ourselves a lot. Like I, I've seen this now, now that I've recognized it in myself, I see it in other people pretty quickly by the way they talk, how difficult they are on themselves, how hard they are on themselves. And I realized I was really, really hard on myself. There would be a lot of self-talk. Like I would outwardly, you wouldn't know it, but on the inside I was, you know, talking very negatively to myself about who I was, not even because of the Walker stalker stuff, just because of stuff that I'd carried since I was a young boy, you know? So just stuff like that. Um, learning surrender was big learning how to communicate, learning how to not have conversations that, or say things that are going to trigger, um, defensiveness, um, ownership of, of all of my stuff. Uh, owning it all um, in the sense of, you know, not making excuses or placing blame on anyone else if things aren't going well. And, and there's a fine line between taking ownership and being self-abusive. So there's a grace that comes with ownership. I think um, when you realize that you might be the reason you are where you are and the reason that you're fighting and the reason your marriage isn't very good and the reason your business isn't going well. Could it maybe be what you are doing to get you there? <laughs> so it's, it's asking those hard questions and saying, yeah, uh, and getting the answer of yes, but I'm not going to beat myself up over it like I did before. I'm, I'm going to receive the grace. And that doesn't come like immediately. That comes through pain. It comes through failure. It comes through darkness, tremendous amount of darkness. Um, it comes from just the, the process of, of becoming pure. I mean, there's a reason why fire, you know, burns off, uh, and, and makes, makes uh, metal pure. Um, and I think this is the same for us as people, we need to go through that purifying process as much as I hate to say it. It's just, it just has to, has to be, um, there's no, this, it's a natural law. It's the way God made it. Uh, Chrissy was talking about something today that actually was perfect and I'm not going to remember it exactly, but she was talking about, um, she'd been thinking about, uh, in her quiet time, just, uh, about seeds and, uh, plants and crops and sowing and we're gardening right now. And she was saying that, you know, a seed can't grow unless there it's, it's put in darkness in the ground and in isolation right? Isolation and darkness have to precede any growth or fruit. 
And then on top of that, the seed has to break. The seed has to break. I had to break. I had to be broken of my, of my stuff in order for what was deeper inside of me to come out, the, the fruit to be, to be coming out and for growth to be experienced. And it's painful. Nobody wants to be broken. Nobody wants to go through darkness. Nobody wants to go through isolation. But unfortunately, for real growth to occur, and I can testify to this, you've got to go through it. And you just have to go through it. Uh, there's no other, no other way around it. People want quick success. People want to see other people being successful, doing great things. But, you know, sometimes that's a fluke. Sometimes that can just happen. And you can see the fruit of that, though. Usually the fruit of that is not very good. Eventually, um, things go bad. The, the person really hasn't been broken, hasn't really matured. It's not good seed that went into good soil that experienced that success, you know. And, um, but good seed and good fruit put in a, a good bit of darkness, a good bit of brokenness can produce tremendous amount of good fruit. And I'm seeing that now. So there's a, a happy ending to the story for me right now. It's because I'm, I'm really in a place now where we can be here at home. Uh, we're, we're secluded. We're in this pandemic. We're, we're social distancing, but we are experiencing a tremendous amount of fruit. It's not perfect. We're, you know, we get on each other's nerves as family and, and as, as everybody does. But man, we are experiencing a tremendous amount of fruit, but it came as a result of all that brokenness. Um, professionally, I'm doing a podcast called The Courage Cast, which that's what I talk about on The Courage Cast is my experience. I try to find people that go through the same types of things. Uh, I, I try to encourage my, my leaders in our doTERRA business, really anyone who's doing anything creative to, uh, in order to do great things, you've got to, you got to face some really difficult things and you have to embrace discipline. You have to, um, you have to uh, face the fear, learning how to face fear and, and acknowledge it. Um, I just kind of share everything I've learned from the Dale Carnegie stuff to, my experiences with the Walker stalkers and um, you know, everything in between on the podcast. So it's from, it's tremendously rewarding for me. I love doing that. Uh, our doTERRA business is still growing and thriving. I love partnering with my wife in her new ventures. She's written a book. I love helping promote that the marketing funnel for that. Um, so yeah, man, good things are happening. Um, but, but it's uh, it came as a result of a lot of, a lot of difficulty. Uh, I could not have teed you up any better than everything you just said in wrapping this up because it was so applicable to the whole world being stuck in darkness and secluded and seeing that there is good that comes out of being broken and put in dark situations. So you, um, you have uh, you have profoundly and professionally just knocked it out of the park, sir. Um, Thank you, dude. Um, I appreciate you sharing. I mean, I know, again, you may not feel like you have a lot to offer, but your experience and you are, you, you carry wisdom, you've learned wisdom, and um, I'm sure that there's plenty, this has been good for me, uh, just one just to speak with another human being outside of my house. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but dude, I, I so appreciate you um, sharing from your heart and sharing your, your experience and, um, and allowing me to spend some time with you. 
I'm curious. So, um, like any, any, um, you know, I've, I've already taken a few notes on like the, the, the Dave, you know, mentioning Dave Ramsey, Dale Carnegie, Tim Ferriss, blah, blah, blah. Any, any resources you think would be helpful to people during this time, like books or podcasts that you would recommend that might be inspiring besides, you know, your wife and your music and your, uh, doTERRA stuff, uh, anything that still you, you go to that you listen to or, or read that, uh, would be helpful during this, this season of life that we're all in. And even, you know, for people that would listen to this, you know, 20 years from now, you know, anything that you would recommend. You bet. Hey, Chris, thank you for, it's an, seriously an honor to come on. I'm grateful that you asked me and you wanted to hear my story. And thanks to the listeners for putting up with a lot of back and forth and a little, you know, me not explaining it as organized in an organized fashion. But um, thank you for letting me kind of uh, vamp on it and talk so much. Um, I don't usually do that. I'm more comfortable asking questions. So thank you, Chris. Um, so, but, uh, you know, what I, what I would say is there's a few things right now that are really important to me that, that I'm learning right now that I think are really valuable for us. <clears throat> and number one is, um, uh, I've read in the, I know now why I read these books, but I read two, three books in the last uh, year. I'm not like a big, like read 52 books a, a year kind of a person. You know, I'm sometimes I just get stuck on a book and just kind of revisit it. That's good for me. So um, three books I read. Number one <clears throat> is True Riches. Uh, it's a book called True Riches. I don't remember the author's names, but I had them on my podcast. Um, and uh, it was kind of an accident that I read this book, but. Uh, super grateful that I read it uh, because these guys um, that wrote it are one of them is part of the um, generous giving organization and they teach people how to give. And uh, one big change I made this year is giving off of the top of my income. And I would just encourage you that in this time, I would challenge you as, mu as hard as it is to give more than you're comfortable with. Um, there is so much fruit in giving that comes in your life. Just like there's fruit in forgiving others. It's a form of giving, forgiving, forgiveness. So just as there's fruit in forgiveness, there's fruit in giving uh, that comes back to you and doesn't always come in the way of financial way that some people might say. I'm not a prosperity gospel person in any way. But I do believe in the power of giving, uh, what it does for your heart, what it does for your relationships, what it does for um, your business, for your peace of mind, your relationship with God. All of it is benefited from giving. So I'd encourage you to read True, True Riches. Number two, the second book I read um, is called The 12-Week 12, uh, 12 Year. Um, uh, that really helped me to set up an intentional uh, system for the, for every 90 days of my life. I don't always stick with it, but it gets me started on a journey. And I've found a lot of fruit in following the 12 week year system, which is just a, it's not a complicated thing. The third, which is probably the most impactful is a book called profit first by Michael McAllowitz. Uh, and on top of giving off of the top, of everything I receive in terms of gross income from the businesses, anything, gifts, anything that's given to me, giving off of that is 
profiting first for anybody who's in business. I have changed my whole way of looking at things financially from a percentage to a percentage basis. So I live my life in percentages financially. So every bit of money that comes in, there is a percentage allocated to it. And what's even better is I'm putting away the profit first. Like, you know how to, on a normal, like business profit and loss statement, most businesses have the profit at the bottom and they operate and do all these things. And then hopefully they make a profit. Well, what if you flip that and said, no, we're operating from, we need to make 10% profit off the top. So everything we get goes first to profit. There's such a change and shift from going to the profit first model after giving. So giving first, profiting, and then you begin to look at, okay, how much do I need to live? Looking at the business from that standpoint, if you're an entrepreneur, how much do I need to live from this business? Then how much does the business need to operate after that? And then taxes, okay? Um, so basically that's a real simple assessment of how the percentages work, but it all needs to total up to hundred percent, but it's amazing what happens when I've started to live this way. I've applied this, uh, and we are experiencing a tremendous amount of fruit right now, uh, because of it. Um, just to have that peace of mind, it brings a lot of peace of mind to know that, um, that we're doing things this way and we're structuring. I feel like my life is more ordered, I guess. You know, and I think uh, we need we need a little bit more control, uh, and I think it's okay to to want to control the controllables, right? Focus on what you can control and let go of what you can't. That's a big part of that Dale Carnegie "How to Not Worry and Start Living" book. Um, so that's really important. Uh, so if there's anything I can recommend you do is to at least do True Riches and Profit First. The twelve week year is an added thing that I really enjoyed adding into my life lately. And then podcasts. Uh, I love the Smart Passive Income podcast with Pat Flynn. I love what everything Pat Flynn is doing and resourcing people with. Um, so I would, I would get involved and follow everything Pat Flynn is doing because I love his heart, love the way he treats others, love his giving mentality, uh, not just his podcast, but his website, his YouTube channel. So I'm a big Pat Flynn guy. Eric, when did you feel like at what age, you said you mentioned you're 48, when did you feel like things started to click a little bit better for you? Um, I would say, <laughs> this is sad to say, but 45. I love it because I think that the mentality is, you know, we live, especially with social media, we live in a young person's generation or world, young person's world. And, um, and I, I've had to, I, myself, this is something I've been telling myself, and then the people that I actually admire are the people that it didn't start to click to their mid forties. And, um, and it's just the, the idea of it's never too late, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's what I can, I've been thinking that as I've been listening to you, is that like, you know, I mean, it didn't sound like it really started to click into the last, you know, 40, you know, past eight years since you were 40, where things started to make sense and stuff. And I, and I love that like, again, because it just feels like young people rule the world now. And if you're past 40 and it's not really rocking yet, then you're dead. You might as well die. You know, <laughs> that's what the world says. Well, brother, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You bet, Chris. What an honor, man. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to, to listen to this and share it once it comes out. 
Absolutely. Well, yeah, and I would, yeah, absolutely share it with your community. And, um, you know, especially I hope it helps because I know that your your people probably love you on one level and maybe them hearing your whole story, they'll love you even more. There you go. I want them to love me. I still like to be loved. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Who doesn't, right? Well, if nobody else loves you, Eric, I do. I so enjoyed my time with Eric. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I hope you were able to get some stuff out of that that helps you in your life and pursuing your dreams. Again, chasing your curiosity and living the life for which you were created. So good. Well, if you enjoyed that, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at I am Clockwood. On Instagram and Facebook, I am Chris Lockwood. Or my website, I am ChrisLockwood.com. And if you'd like to support the Chris Lockwood podcast, you can go to my website, I am ChrisLockwood.com. Click on the Patreon link, and that will take you to Patreon where you can support us each month as we continue to bring content that is helpful to those who are seeking, learning, growing, striving to better understand what it means to be fully alive and how that translates in the day-to-day. Well, God bless you. Again, make the most of this coronavirus. It can take our health, it can take our conveniences, but it can't take our faith and it cannot take our belief. Your time is now. And with faith, all things, all things are possible. I'll see you soon.